You are now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Fableman's Edition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Sanity at the Movies. I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. We've got Jacob Mental in the his house. How we doing, Jake? I'm great. <laughs> you excited to talk about this? Will you No. <laughs> I think I've had enough. I don't want to think about it. Well, we're going to. I will see it again. We're, we're going to explore that today. I think that's a valid feeling. I feel quite the opposite, I have to say. I do want to think about it, and I do want to see it again. Well, I don't know. That's maybe an exaggeration. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We've also got someone who wasn't on our first take, which was like fresh out of the oven. The movie was still wafting off of us. You could smell Fableman stench on us. We had just gotten out of the theater, the theater, and we came here and we recorded, uh, like, and, and we were like, we don't even know what we think about this movie, man. And then we decided what we thought about the movie. That's what happened last time. Yeah. Cool. Has but, anything changed for you? Well, yes and no. And I'll get to that. I haven't even listened to you guys' take on it. So you don't even know what you're walking into. Well, you and I talked a little, so maybe I do. Well, Ben, obviously you weren't on this podcast. You decided to go on some sort of a vacation? Something like with that. With your wife? Yeah, you can put those words together if you want. Vacation, you, you, it might, might I be will. true. I will. You, ben yeah. decided it was on, in Atlanta, Georgia. That's right. Drinking a mint julep. And, Drinking uh, a mint julep. <laughs> All the things you do in Georgia. That's right. But Ben, you saw the Fablemans. Now, the Fablemans, of course, if anyone does not know, if they for some reason are listening to this podcast first and they don't know what the movie is, I don't. First of all, I don't know why you're listening to the second in a series on a movie that you don't know what it is. But the Fablemans is Steven Spielberg giving an account of his own life. It's a, like an autobiographical film, maybe lightly fictionalized. Sammy Fableman is named Sammy Fableman and not named Steven Spielberg for example, but it draws from the seminal experiences of his life growing up, of his parents' divorce, of his lear- him learning to love movies and make movies, and then uh, it concludes with his sort of getting a foot in the door of Holly Weird. So, Ben, what's your take on this whole thing? My take, huh? Before I reveal oh. the hive mind's take from last time. Okay. All right. Um, my take is it's a really well-made movie. It's dense with ideas and metaphors and feels like a plausible portrait of a family's life and of this kid's life. As I was watching it, I became fairly depressed and was like, maybe I don't want to watch movies anymore. <laughs> maybe they're just horrible things that people use to lie to themselves and um, not face reality. And uh, they're just, this is just, I should I should be cynical about. Is that a metatextual depression? Like the movie was doing that? And yeah. There, or what do you what do you what's the alternative? Well, that the movie was intentionally telling that that story and it wanted you to take that away. Well, I think actually Steven Spielberg did want you to feel a little bit of that, but not completely. And I think this is this is a meta movie. It's a movie about what movies are and what art is, and it's a movie that's that's like an apology for the way that Steven Spielberg has used his art to lie and escape reality. Sorry about that, folks, but here's a movie where I can be honest about reality, and the reality is that I was dishonest about reality through the movies, but it does all that in a way that's really compelling and captures the feeling of divorce, the way that kids feel about divorce really crisply, really cleanly, does a good job of showing a family breakdown. It's a good movie about selfishness and lies and how art can be a way of 
justifying selfishness and lies, a way of feeding selfishness and lies, a way of telling lies, and a way of creating lies. <laughs> it's 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 all that stuff. I don't think it's an entirely cynical movie about the movies. I think it's it's just more like this is a thing that people do who are artists, and we can justify a lot of stuff, but I am not for that reason trying to tell you that I really completely hate myself and my whole career. That would be my big read after a lot of thought about it. That he... he Steven Spielberg thinks that he did use movies to lie. I mean, this is what I think he thinks. He used movies selfishly. They were part of his drug for coping with his family's emotional breakdown. And he used them as a substitute for actually dealing with all the pain and guilt and shame of his family life and his mom and dad's failures. That that carried over into his career. But that that doesn't mean that all his movies were worthless or something. It just means that was also a thing that was happening. And that that's, that's often the way artists are. It's their drug. You know, it's like the big thesis statement we get from the Judd Hirsch, the uncle character. Art is our drug. <clears throat> and we're going to put it over our families. We're going to end up walking away from and hurting those who love us the most for art's sake. And Steven Spielberg is saying, well, there's, there's definitely some truth to that. And I've done that. And my mom did that. And I'm, kind of, I'm like her. That's not pretty. And it's not even right. But I still love the movies. I'm going to make movies. I'll make a movie about how I did this thing with movies. That's how much I love the movies. Maybe that's how selfish I am. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a large part of me and Jake's conversation was trying to put our finger on how self-aware and how self-deprecating versus how self-aggrandizing uh-huh. Spielberg was in all of those things. And it's pretty, one of the things that's really interesting about the movie is how tricky it is to ultimately decide Mm -hmm. where he's landing with all that stuff. I think in in terms of his relationship with the movies and with art, that's, that's, that's the part of the movie that the more I think about it, the more I like actually, the more, like, I think I like it better than when me and Jake first talk, talked like the bully scene, the the final confrontation Mm -hmm. with the bullies is just wonderful. And I think I, because I'm a dunce, didn't get the meta joke in the movie where he's like, I'm the, where the bully's like, don't tell, don't tell. And he's like, I'll never tell <laughs> unless I make a movie about it. <laughs> which I never will. And, which I never will. And he did. <laughs> We're watching the movie that he made about it. <laughs> yeah, I got the joke. But. Yeah, I didn't for some reason. I think I was too invested in the scene because it's, mm-hmm. it's good. It's probably the best scene in the movie. So I was just experiencing it like people, not like a... I wasn't looking at the layers of it. At least that's the excuse I'll make for being an idiot and missing a, a pretty simple thing. But stuff like that, the more I think about it, the more I really I really like it. I like the ambiguity with which he approaches a lot of that stuff. And I think it I don't know that he has anything particularly profitable to say about any of it, but I think he captures the ambiguity well. And I like mm-hmm. and he captures the feeling of alienation and the feeling of using art to as a coping mechanism, me and Jake did not talk about the scene where his parents are giving the classic we're getting divorced scene speech and the girls are crying and everything. We did talk about that. Did we talk about it? I think we talked yeah. about it off mic maybe, but well, whether right? we talked about it or not. Just, okay. Well, but, we definitely talked about it yeah. at some point. On well, I think what we didn't say is mm. the wonderful moment in that scene and the one that I really connect to because it was exactly like this for me is he's looking in the mirror and he's figuring out how he would frame it. You know, like he's, he's, he's making the movie of this scene in his head 
And I, and I, not to be, I hope this doesn't sound to come across as pretentious because I'm not saying there's anything particularly glorious about this. I'm just saying it's true that if someone is an artist, they will oftentimes process big moments in their life through art. And especially if you're a narcissistic teenager who's full of rage and full of hormones and full of feelings and none of which you've learned to deal with, you kind of just shut the door on all of that and remove yourself a step or two and just kind of think about it like, uh, okay, how would I frame this? How would I, how would I capture this? How would I write about this? How would I paint this? Like what's, what's the scene? Mm -hmm. And so I think he really captured that feeling. I, I think I've certainly had those moments in my life. I mean, praise be to God as I get older and become more mature and emotionally integrated, I'm not sitting there arguing with my wife, figuring out how I would frame the shot. Usually, I am, I guess, one of the more meta people that I know in terms of I, I've, I've done things like that. Having those sure. two brains going all the time. Mm -hmm. Everybody does things like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think you have to be especially artsy to, to do things like that. It's just that, you know, we did talk about how we think of our whole lives cinematography, cinematographically, yeah. cinematically. That's what, how about that? And so every, every, major life moment we imagine as a movie scene or as a novelization or whatever. Right. As a song, uh, you know, we have our soundtrack, we have our, and some people are more like that on the day to day and some people are, but come on, what did everybody say in 9-11? It felt like a movie, yeah. So it's not like anything special for artists. This is just like the way that, uh, the world and the Steven Spielbergs of the world have programmed our cultural brain. This is the milieu. This is just who we are. This is how we think and how we frame things. Right. So it's just, it's normal yeah. at this point, I think. I, I'd agree with that. I think the movie captures a specific brand of, uh, shall we say, ennui or apathy yeah. or, uh -huh. or, or the, that particular scene captures a disconnect that I remember very well where hmm. you're just like, huh. My parents are shouting in front of me. I should feel something. I'm supposed to feel something. If this was a movie, I'd feel something. Now, am I a psychopath? Like, I don't know, but all I but know- But this is, is what we did talk about about that scene, which is at that moment, because of the tension and the way that your parents have trained you to respond to these yes, situations. Yes, we did talk about that, yeah. Like, what else are you supposed to do? Are you right. supposed to feel and carry all that tension? Or are you supposed to have some kind of coping mechanism to shut it out? Okay, so you've got a coping mechanism to shut it out. This is what they've taught you to do because they've forced you to live with this kind of tension your whole life. So, of course, that's what he does. Yes, I agreed. In any case, I think that sort of thing is done really well. I mean, I only hate, I only hate the... So, I don't know, Jake, you just want to tell Ben where we kind of landed last time. The question that I think I asked was, yeah. is this a movie that you would show to any couple going through a divorce? Is this a movie that you would go back and show your parents when they were going through their divorce? Is this a movie that you would you would hand to somebody in that situation and think, oh, this will be a helpful way for the, you to process what you're doing to yourself and to your family? Then I don't know what your answer to that question is. I'm thinking about it. I don't know what it is. I mean, if you just think of it through the lens of Michelle Williams' final scene, or maybe it's one of her final scenes, but the final lasting impression of her her big scene is, I don't even remember what the setup is now. It's when they're talking in the kitchen, 
Yeah. He tells her how he broke up with his girlfriend. And she she basically has a moment where she says, you have to follow your dreams or some crap. You have to follow like your that. heart. You have to follow your heart. And yeah. nobody has uh, a right to place any expectations on you or tell you how that looks. Not even me. And I'd love to say that the movie had the maturity to disagree with her at that moment and to say, hey, look at all the pain that following your heart has cost these people that you should love and sacrifice for, you dumb lady. But the movie doesn't do that. Well, he kind of wants to say, yeah, I mean, it sucks. It sucks for Paul Dano. It sucks for everybody. But what's she supposed to do? She was being repressed. She wasn't following her heart. She needed to do it. She belonged with Seth Rogen, whatever. I mean, I just don't, <clears throat> I don't know. I think that's hard to read. It's part of the dramatic ambiguity of the movie. So I guess the answer is no to your question, Jake, because it's dramatically ambiguous what the movie even thinks of that. But you don't, you don't take it for granted that the movie thinks the cheapest, stu- stupidest thing about I, that. that it I, I mean, my, 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 I, I, I want to read it as actually the movie thinks she's wrong. She's foolish and that it's Paul Dano's face because you see him last, not her. He gets a scene with Steven Spielberg about working in the movies and you, you get a couple of long shots of his grief. Yeah. And he's basically. really, and he's really devastated and he's, <laughs> he still wants to be with her and he tried and she didn't. And that is what, that is how I walked away feeling was like my sympathy was with Paul Dano and my sympathy was with, you know, he tried and you didn't, lady. But I'm just not sure the movie actually agrees with me on that. I think the movie wants to cut mom slack. And then there again, there's another complication because as the author of the movie, I need Spielberg to center this morally. But as his mom's son, I'm not sure what I need from him. I don't, I don't know whether I want him to, how much I want him to throw her under the bus. Maybe what I'm ultimately arguing is you can't make this movie because you can't pass the kind of judgment on your parents that you need to in order to anchor this movie morally, at least not mm-hmm. do it in a way that doesn't feel nasty. I mean, you could imagine a movie where he really did just take revenge on his parents and show them for, 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 for as bad as they were. I sort of like that he's more compassionate. He wants you to, he wants the audience to walk away feeling compassion for both of his parents. And we said in the other podcast that that was a surprise to me, at least like he really doesn't want to take sides. I guess I should have not been surprised by that. It makes sense in retrospect, but I I thought it was going to be more anti-dad than it was. It felt like he was going, going to pains to try and give you all the perspectives and make sure everybody had some sympathy yeah i mean i'm not sure how self-knowing he is but it was so easy for me to sit there reading the movie like eh, at the big moment when you know he and his mom have a fight he shows her the film she's crying he's like i won't tell dad that he knows there was something else in the movie too that i can't remember that made me think he's admitting that he was in a sense complicit in the breakdown of the marriage like he was he just wanted the scene. Just, the he, scene where he sees uh, mom and Seth Rogen drive off. Remind me. Well, he, he sort of he, he debuts his film, and he's already mad at Mitzi at that point. Yeah, and so she comes up to celebrate him, and she's crying, and she he walks past her. He walks past yes, yeah, Seth Rogen. He walks to dad into his scout troop, and then watches mom and. Right, so he's already failed in it to alert his dad or to be helpful or to be just responsible or something. 
that's how he feels. Well, me and Jake had a slightly different read on this, I think. I read the movie as being more about his guilt and his complicity. And I think maybe you didn't see it that way as much, Jake. Like like the idea of Michelle Williams' character wasn't even necessarily fully aware of how much she was in love with Seth Rogen, if you can put it that way, until little Sammy showed her the film. And so not only does he share this dark secret with his mom, he's actually somehow at least feels like he's complicit in making her aware and activating the rest of her story. That was your take. That was my take. Yes. Yeah. I didn't quite buy that. No, no. I I thought, I I thought we had enough moments in the, in the film itself that he made uh, that we had seen and enough telegraphing from the first scene of the movie or not the first scene, but the early on in the movie, this was an ongoing thing and everybody knew it. And certainly Mitzi and Seth Rogen knew it, you know, and it were, you know, little things like he goes to put his arm around her and then she grabs his hand and pulls it off. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a self-aware moment. That's a people might be watching moment as they kind of are walking off to go be by themselves together. It already progressed. Right. Yeah. I mean, my read of that was, it's just one of those things that has progressed because people are ridiculous and people are blind and people are live small little sad lives of self-denial or not of self-denial of, of unself-awareness. And so it's like, yeah, she, she, on on some instinctual level or, or even more than instinctual, she does know everything enough to move Seth Rogen's hand, all this stuff. And the movie is at pains to say, it's obvious. Everybody should see this. Paul Dano should have punched out Seth Rogen years ago. Yeah. But maybe there's part of her, especially given her whole personality, given how much, intentional delusion and illusion and self-mythology she lives with on a day-to-day basis, there is some part of her that just hasn't dealt with this yet. And Sammy, yeah, and Sammy forces feel, her to deal with that. it. You feel that. You do feel, I did feel that in the moment. Right. Yeah. But the facts argued the other way. And so it was, it was a both and kind of, I do think it, it's a both and kind of thing. I right. think there's a, there's a degree to which people do that all the time. They do that at work with coworkers. They cultivate a special relationship with a coworker. They're doing things that are going out of their way, making gestures that anybody would interpret. And everybody knows. Right. But the minute you put it on screen, it becomes embarrassing and obvious and you feel stupid and foolish or whatever. You do that you can do this kind of thing in a counseling session with somebody. Just have them talk for long enough and then repeat back to them what the what they actually said. Mm-hmm. You can really corner and embarrass somebody that way who is living in a state of self-denial. Right. Because they'll tell you everything without realizing they told you everything. And a person like that might not... Necessarily- and you have to be wise in how you expose them to the truth of everything they've told you. Right. And so I would, I would say, at the very least, this movie's saying... I mean, especially because I think it wants to deal with the power of cinema and the unintended consequences of the power of cinema. I, I think it wants to, he wants to at least say, was it good that I brought this into the light the way I did? Like, did that actually help anybody? Did it help my mom? Did it help help uncle, whatever his name is? Well, 
Or is this just part of like like it's what it's it's kind of the, uh, another version of what he did to the bullies? It's like I have this power to just define the narrative for people. I just I just ruined this guy's life or made this yeah, guy's life or but, something. But he's just he's not actually with the bully. The bully's argument is you're you're creating something bizarre. It's actually not there, right? But the with the mom, you're just revealing something that is there or hiding it. Yeah. Which is what he did for the family. Right, of course, yeah. So it doesn't just create, it also hides a reveal. And so, I mean, it's just like a scene where he gets this catharsis with his mom over this shared guilt and then leaves it as a as a lie, like as a dark secret. I mean, if I had my druthers, my read is he's self-aware enough to know, hey, I just went for shared catharsis instead of honesty. And that's, again, that's kind of an artist thing to do, my mom and me. That's what we wanted. And that's what I'm doing with you right now. You, the viewer. Yeah. Except that you could say it's a little better. I mean, if, if if he knows himself that much, he could just say... But he's winking the whole time. Yeah, but it depends on how much honesty or like... How much of a warning like a you want to take the movie as, if that makes sense, as be, you know, be warned. In other words, there's still something fundamentally honest about it in my read. Honest on... Honest uh, Spielberg's being honest about the lie. Yes, yes, that's the, what I the mean. The real Steven Spielberg is being honest about the characters. Yes, and then therefore his I, own. I I did this for for catharsis, and I hid the truth. I'm an artist. It's what I do. I'm telling you the truth about me right now. And the breadcrumbs I relayed was uh, uh, the man who shot Liberty Valance is going to be a touch point through the whole thing, which is of if people don't know, of course, the movie where they famously decide to print the legend instead of tell the truth about what actually happened because it's better for people to believe the legend. It's more helpful for people to believe the legend. That's how I feel about the movie. It's like, this is, this is honest. It's he's, he's, he's not lying. I mean, in his way, he's not lying and he's not even, he's not justifying, but he's just saying, here's my obstinacy. So obstinate. I made an awesome movie about my own selfishness. It's going to be a hit. I'll get away with it. But, that doesn't mean on some level I don't hate myself and realize things are really messed up inside of me. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if that self-hatred was a little bit more clear somehow, I think we'd all be more comfortable with this movie. Yeah. I mean, if- I mean the ending scene is pretty cute for uh, I feel bad about myself confessional. Although apparently... I- it's what happened. I mean, I, I I did the research since we watched it. That is the story, I guess. That is the story of his. That is the story he's told now for many years of his legendary meeting with, with John Ford. <laughs> yeah, but even just the and, shot. and the tilt and everything. Yeah. Uh, to me, none of that made me happy or comfortable. It all made me feel worse. It's like, in other words, uh, the way that I read it is: well, this is my drug. There's a lot of emotional stuff to escape, and I made it. I got away. I'm on the drug. I got what I wanted in every way. I'm getting it. That's that. And so it's like, I'm not going to answer all the emotional resolutions that need to be answered about who I am and the effects of the divorce and how I coped with them. Because this is not about that. This is about, I escaped. I took the drug. And now I'm manipulating you by the way I tilt my camera and you just fell for it for two hours. And cool. Isn't that this kind of a fun yet guilty pact that we enter into each other with each other. That's how I felt about it. Like I didn't, to me, it didn't, it was everyone in theater laughed, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and all of them who, who got the, the camera angle, the horizon joke, which was most people laughed. But I was like, 
my stomach did not feel happy. I was like, oh man, <laughs> like this movie is serious about about what it. So I didn't I didn't take it as a cute write off of anything. I took it as like confirmed through and through. This darkness is is who I am. But he wouldn't necessarily say it's darkness, would he? I mean, wouldn't he say maybe he wouldn't? I I I just keep feeling like you put a lot more guilt and moral weight on the way that Spielberg is approaching the story in this movie than I felt like was actually there. That may be, I, I that may be so. That, like, I think you're bringing in a, a lot more moral weight and judgment to it that maybe should be there, but I didn't actually feel from the film itself Well, from Spielberg himself. I, you may be totally right, Jake. I mean, my parents' own divorce played through my mind, yeah. as I'm sure you guys did too. Sure, yeah. And so... But I felt like, in terms of morality, right? Once he acknowledges, I'm selfish and I'm a liar. Your, your divorce, your parents' divorce, is closer to this, at least in terms of timing. I was five, six years old. It happened right, right before I entered college, so it's very close in terms of timing. Right, it's like exactly. Yeah, so it's like it's pretty. Same, it's same pretty on the nose. Actually. It's pretty on the nose. I don't know if you admit to me that you're lying and that you're selfish, and that that's that's a big part of who you are as an artist, and then the rest of your movie confirms that thesis, then. You may not feel bad about that in the same way that I do as a Christian, but it's like you're still admitting it in the morality of the movie. You're still like, that's part of the raw material you're working with to tie all your scenes together. Well, that's why I'm tempted to say this movie actually in its weird way is brilliant because there is something maybe perverse, but also brilliant about if that's what he did. If he just fashioned a mirror that all the, what you look, what you put into it is what you get back. And and he actually deflected any view into him as a person, but just figured out how to build like this perfect machine for telling you, making you feel like you learned something about him. But but actually, you learned nothing, and it was all that it was all what you brought to it. Brought to it. Then he created Spider Verse. Um, and then you created the Spider Verse. <laughs> uh, I mean, it is. It, Part of me is tempted to say this is like 2001 or I don't know, a handful of movies like that where it is what Christopher Nolan, the hack, wishes <laughs> that he could do and does in the stupidest, most patronizing, ridiculous, silly way for idiots. Like he wants to build a puzzle, puzzle box and then his puzzle box is like, was it a dream or was it not a dream? And it's like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Leonardo DiCaprio's happy. We know how we're supposed to feel. You've told us how you want us to feel because you're too much of a populist to let us not feel, not know how to feel. This this movie actually feels like I don't know how to feel and I don't know what he's saying and I don't know what he's doing and I'm not sure he's doing anything maybe except for just reflecting my own feelings back at me. I mean, even something as trite and simple and like the, the Michelle Williams scene, it's like it's it does seem to offer the moral and the moral does seem to be follow your dreams, no matter who it hurts, but that's just a stupid moral. And it's in contradiction with so much of the rest of the movie. And then the whole movie is saying it's about artifice and about, and that there is a dark price to all this stuff. It's very easy to make the mom, the bad guy, very easy to make Judd Hirsch a more ambiguous and less positive figure. But even in seeming to go the other direction, it almost makes things more complicated. Like, how many movies could we have this con- this level of conversation just sitting here trying yeah. to figure out? And that in and of itself maybe is a bad achievement because maybe if you're going to handle something as awful as divorce, you have to just have a clear moral through line one way or another. 
I think that's what I think. I think I don't think that you can approach something like this with this level of ambiguity. Yeah, and it's I get f- I get that. Yeah, but on the other hand, no one's making me show this to my parents from twenty five years ago or twenty years ago, whatever it was. I don't have to. I don't actually have that dilemma. So what my actual question is: do, Did I like the movie? I'm not going to divorce my wife. I'm just not. I don't know. Maybe that's selfish. Maybe that's unfair because I have to consider the fact that a lot of people in a lot of different places in their lives are going to see this movie and be influenced by it. And so I do. And so I'm negative towards the movie. And so I I think I basically actually agree with Jake. But I want to provide some space for all the different interesting things that the movie's doing and and not maybe be slow to write it off, but not just not be quick to write it off. Yeah, like like maybe maybe I think about this for another month or two, and then I decide no, I never want to see that again. It's poison. It's toxic. It's trash. It's self-aggrandizing nonsense. I'm still not quite there yet, though. Right now, I mean, I don't think I'd want to. I could imagine this movie being poisonous pretty easily because it is so ambiguous. But I find I don't know the argument that it is about something and makes a kind of moral judgment in its way is compelling to me. And, I don't know, maybe I just need some more perspective or time, separate it from my own demons, and Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure if I like it exactly. I just know it's the kind of movie that sticks with you. It's memorable. It all feels of a piece Mm -hmm. in a way that few movies do. And scene by scene, it's very easy to, like, build the whole movie back in your mind because it's so carefully put together. And so I I think, I don't know, I think Steven Spielberg is condemning himself in a certain way that there's some, there's some morality and moral judgments that kind of obtain through the whole movie. But I don't think that makes it a good movie to show to people to teach them about <laughs> divorce or moral judgments or art. Right. I don't think it makes it any of those things. It just makes it, a, to me, so far as I see it, a coherent reflection of one guy's inner torment, which involves some moral judgments and some th- statements about art or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the level on which I appreciate it too. But then I am haunted by Jake's question, which is, is it irresponsible for him to, even even giving yeah. that that's what he did, is it then, is it irresponsible for him to do that, especially given the power that he wields, the fact that lots of people are just going to go see this because it's the latest Spielberg movie. Yeah. And, and their, their marriages and their relationships and their families will be formed to some extent by Spielberg's ambiguity and, and i i get that and i don't want to i don't want to take away from the potency of that argument i think that's a really great argument and maybe a checkmate and, and maybe why this movie is maybe is I, evil I, there's there's a romantic comedy that it's not very good i don't think but if you like it listener great good for you this music exec asked this musician hey i need to know right now like i can make you a star you know, basically, you're going to lose your soul, but you're going to be loved by millions of people. You're going to make a ton of money. So do you want the poison chalice or not? And the guy's like, I'll take the chalice. And I think that that's what this movie maybe may just boil down to is like, yeah, this is a poison chalice. And I would drink it again. Drinking it right now. It's all I have to say. And so in that sense, you know, it's as dark and demonic a vision of art and the artist as anything you could want. It's also honest in its way. I will say, if the movie was clearly that, <laughs> I think I might like that movie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the movie you're describing. Yeah. I, I keep thinking the I'm same just like, thing. Did I, I see that movie? Like, I'm not sure. It's not quite that. Huh? Yeah. I keep thinking the same thought. I keep thinking, well, if if I walked away feeling 
such moral clarity about the as much moral clarity about the movie as as Ben, then I might actually really love the movie. But I just didn't feel that. Yeah, maybe I'm importing too much. Or, or maybe I'm um, importing too little. Yeah, maybe. I'm, <laughs> Well, the fact is we all want a judgment because we well, all- Well, the, the thing is Spielberg has never had a problem giving you a judgment, right? Like he's never had a problem just frying the Nazis. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know- Or saying, Elliot's dad seems like a jerk. He's not here. Yeah. That's the irony is that in his fictions, Spielberg actually has given us some wonderfully helpful handles for dealing with our divorces, for dealing with our family. I mean, Close Encounters, as, as evil as its message is, uh, you know, it is kind of the demonic. It is what you just said, actually. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm getting on the starship and I do it again because family is a waste of time and following your dreams is cool. It's very clear <laughs> about that. And well, it's, in some ways, it's actually more helpful because it's clear. It's like, here, here's a thesis statement. Here yeah, it is. Yeah, but 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 what it lacks is, you know, existential torment. What it lacks <laughs> is the torment of Richard Neary or whatever his name is, his mm. soul. And this movie is about torment. It's about like the poison working its way through your veins. And, and I love that movie. I love, yeah, I, I can't pass up the opportunity to get on the ship. I know I'm leaving Terry Gar and the kids behind and it's yeah. eating me up on yeah. side, but also I'm going to see the cosmos, but also I want to kill myself. Like, yeah, that's yeah, not, yeah. that's not a very, uh, that's not, that's not a movie that makes hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's not a blockbuster, uh. but I do like that story. Actually. I mean, I do, I do. I do think, yeah, it was a poison chalice. It killed everybody, and I drink it again. The, the, the story I think that we all three probably wanted Spielberg to tell was, I think Jake even said this last time, was, yeah, you guys all loved E.T., but I'd sacrifice E.T., Indiana Jones, and all the rest of it, and dinosaurs would never walk the earth if my mom and dad could just be back together again. Yeah. I hate the poison chalice, actually. It yeah. was a poison chalice. It doesn't matter how wealthy it made me. That's a movie that we all would have actually that would have been a legitimate like tearjerker and would it would have felt like yay steven spielberg has a pretty good perspective on and he, things and he did it again <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, yeah but yes absolutely um, but second to that i think is actually the i drank the poison chalice it really was poison and i would do it again and when wouldn't you rather that i did it like don't you, yeah you, you you want my family to be together so that you want my mom to be Whole, you want everything to be happy? No, so you've you, profited from my brokenness as much as I have. You love it. You love it too. It's complicated, right? I mean, who hasn't benefited from their own pain? When you think back over which which pain you would do away with, it's it's an impossible conundrum, right? So I think there's a good movie to be made, a dark but good movie to be made there. Yeah. But then he made the movie that he made, and yeah. And we're all reading it three slightly different ways, which is which which is interesting. I mean, if 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 the judge if 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 the sign of a good movie is it lives with you, this movie has lived with me. I actually said the same thing about the stupid Cormac McCarthy book, The Passenger, which we still haven't yeah re- we still haven't reviewed on the booking. And it's a terrible book. I hated every minute of it. It's boring. It's stupid. It's confusing. It's self-aggrandizing. It's just like garbage. And we'll talk about that in much more detail in the booking. But it had when there's artful garbage, it has lived with me. I mean, even things that we've enjoyed, like Batman. It's like I don't find myself thinking about the Batman. I I saw it. I liked it. We had a little bit of discourse surrounding it. 
Mm-hmm. Top Top Gun Maverick lives with you. Yeah, Top Gun Maverick lives with. I'm always. I'm thinking about uh, uh, Rooster. Rooster. Yeah, I'm thinking about all those characters whose names I can't remember. It's like very fun, but intentionally designed to be Teflon. Like it's, it's forgettable. Just, it's forgettable, and, and that's most things, even things we can enjoy. It's not necessarily a a bad thing. That you know, it's it's okay to just have an entertainment. But this movie has lived with me in a way that not very many things do. I, I simply do not have a lot of the, the, well, the part of why it, but I was just going to say the, the rentals, the rental space in my head is, is highly priced these days. Like you don't just right. get to live in, like it used yeah. to be like, I'd go see the latest movie and it could be some schlock. And I'd think about it. Cause I didn't have anything better to think about. I was like, I don't have any time to think about movies. I think about them on a professional basis for this podcast. And I sit down and I organize my thoughts into notes and stuff. This movie has actually just, lingered there how how much of i think this is true a little bit of both the mccarthy book and this bit i find the same thing to be true for me yeah of both of those how much of the spielberg movie living with you is the richness of each scene just the touch of just the master of spielberg like the, the mccarthy book is trash but when he wants you to feel like you're standing on a field and there's snow coming you down, you feel and it. The apocalypse is looming. Looming. you. You're yeah. there and you feel the emotion of it, and you feel the psycholo- You feel the angst, the existential. Like he puts you there. What he's making you think or feel, or what he's dealing with, may be stupid and you may hate it, but you you can't escape the fact that he has the power to actually paint the scene that he has a, the power to actually uh, get you in that headspace. Right. Right. And that's McCarthy and Spielberg is the same way. And he's like, he's referenced like what Spielberg movie that shaped your life. Did he not reference with his camera angles and his shots and his recreation of, of saving private Ryan or mm. any number of other little, little things that are just like echoes. And I mean, he's, he is the, the the nostal- he he is your nostalgia mm-hmm. he is the quintessential nostalgia creator and master and he created a a movie about nostalgia i mean not really but that that has all of those pieces subtly done mm-hmm. with his own touch with his own hand and it's like ben said you know you can we could each go back and i bet if given enough time and i have Tried hard not to think too much about this movie, right? Since since we saw it, whenever we saw it, just the same, the amount of scenes and visual pieces and details and details, yeah. and then you don't even think about it. Just go back to the beginning of the movie. Oh yeah, that whole the circus and the train and the little set pieces with his own train where he's recreating the things and the the way that the train flips in the movie on the screen and the way that he recreates it and the imagined recreation. And then the, 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 what we, ac- he actually does get and all the gray space in between and the way that all that was like, and then mom and her face and the, in the tactile feeling of the camp. And, and we're not even in the first 10, we've not got past the first 10 minutes of the movie yet. And we could just keep doing that throughout the whole yeah. movie. And that's like, okay, he created a Spielberg movie about Spielberg movies that feels like Spielberg movies. How do you escape that if you're us? I think that's true. I think that's very true. I mean, I will say maybe my only slight pushback to that is 
I never saw the post, but I think I've kept up with Spielberg mostly. And it's like, just because he brought a lot, I do a great deal of craft to Bridge of Spies or West Side Story. Those didn't live with me. I mean, those were like, okay, that was, that was pretty good, I guess, whatever. They were, they were both good movies actually, but I, I didn't think about them much. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not the only part of your argument. The other part of your argument is he's, he's tapping into Spielbergia. It's, it's not just purely the craft that's living with us. It's the craft put to this particular end. And I think that's true. I mean, I think it would be hard to make a movie like this that wouldn't hit and linger on some level as long as you're sort of doing it with some level of skill. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's not all of it, but it sure is. I think in the case of both the McCarthy book and this and the show Mad Men, um, I am just fascinated with the breakdown of of that generation. Um, and the McCarthy book is set in the 80s, but it's about ramifications of people that were born in the 50s, kind of baby boomers, 40s, 50s kids. And like mid-century Americana, A, we're all really nostalgic for it, or at least I am. Well, yeah, this is a movie about Spiel, or, or sorry, the, McCar- the McCarthy book is a, like that guy would be about Spielberg's age today, like the main character of that. The main character would, and his dad would be Paul Dano's age, and his, dad's not, right. his dad is like a nuclear physicist, and he's kind of the Paul Dano of his field. He's this early, this guy who created the 20th century, and Paul Dano, I mean, if you don't know Arnold Spielberg, Arnold Spielberg did give us the personal computer. I mean, he just, he's a genius, right? He's one of those unsung, you know, he doesn't have a, the name recognition besides being his, his son's father. He doesn't have name recognition, but, you know, he's widely recognized as one of the people that gave us the personal computer. Um, he's a genius. I think this movie does a good job of indicating that, at least, without mm-hmm. making it the point of the story. But, you know, we can talk about the 60s. We can talk about the sexual revolution. We can talk about societal breakdown. We're going to have to do Mad Men or something. Yeah, I don't know how to do it because it's so full so of sex. Bad. But it's such a touchstone for me in particular. Well, it keeps coming back up, and it keeps coming back up on a in in these conversations and i suspect on personal levels because it's coming back as a reference in my own mind for reasons i'm not sure i entirely understand well my my explanation of it is some of it's my grandparents are dying well yeah well and exact but that's exactly it like you can understand something sort of intellectually i mean you can say the sexual revolution it did a lot of things we can explain the sociological phenomenon we can explain it in terms like using terms like sin and we can get closer to a real explanation but you still you want to understand emotionally where you came from and you and you know that it feels like stories like this hold the key my grandpa was like paul dano he was this guy who had no emotional capabilities and was a sweet guy had his problems my my grandma was like one of these characters it was like a Michelle Williams or a Paul Dano. Um, I mean, I realize they're not the same, but it's like she came from that generation. And Spielberg is the child of that generation. And then he gave me my generation. And it's like, I'm not trying to be grandiose about this. I'm not saying the movie necessarily has anything deep to say about any of it. I'm just saying it's an endlessly fascinating subject for me. Like, I want to know emotionally, intuitively, like where did I come from? How did my dad become who he was? What was his, what were his parents like? And it seems like there's some magical key buried in these kinds of stories that I never quite find, but I think it's what keeps me 
going back to that that era, going back to stories of mid-century or right after mid-century America, the 60s, all that stuff, like it's like I'm searching for the Rosetta Stone or something like that. Like if I could just figure out, like you can give lots of reasons for why Don, Don Draper is like Don Draper, but if I could just really figure it out, then I'd understand something about my grandpa and something about my dad that I still don't understand and therefore understand something about myself. I realize that's a very grandiose statement perhaps, but I think it is one of the reasons why my brain just keeps puzzling over a movie like this. Like Spielberg is trying, whether he's succeeding or not is an entirely other question, but he, he does want to tell me something about myself in this movie. And I'd love to know what that is and whether I agree with it. Um, hmm. And Jake says he wants to let you off the hook in a way that's entirely destructive. And Ben says he realizes he got off the hook and it was entirely destructive and it's super dark. And I say, I don't know what I think, but I want to keep thinking about it. I'm not ready to just say the movie's bad because it asked these questions. Yeah. So. Yeah. I want to keep thinking about it. I mean, my, my thesis might be modifiable. It was destructive, but also it was constructive, mm-hmm. kind of like for his mom. Right. So it was terrible and selfish and produced some good results, too. It's all those things. Yeah. I mean, I tend to think if Spielberg was in this room, what he would say is, and I have read some interviews with him about this movie. It seems like what he'd say is, I loved my mom and my dad. Like, what else do you want? Like, mm-hmm. I just, I made my peace with both of them. I think that they both have a point of view. Mm-hmm. And I had a point of view then, and I have a point of view now. And I wanted the movie to express all four of those points of view. And I had no deeper sort of authorial intent. intent like, okay, let, here's, my, here's the argument for my mom. Here's the argument for my dad. Here's the argument for me. You decide, viewer, or, or don't, actually, because you can't. It's complicated. Everybody hurts. So... Ben, how many uh, strips of film out of 47? Or no, I think how many movies is Steven Spielberg made? Like 36? We'll say 36. Do you give to the Fablemans? We'll say, we'll say 30 at this point. I'm just not really sure how many to give it. Individual scenes I would give 36 to. Jake, how many sure. strips of film out of 36 do you give to the Fablemans upon further reflection? I don't know. Zero? No. I think part of my problem, maybe it's not a problem. I don't know. Part of part of what I'm, I'm just like, man, Iron Man just does not provide the opportunities to have these kinds of conversations. Like, uh, it just doesn't. Uh, I'm just, I, I, I don't even. There's part of me that's wrongfully does not care if this movie is saying something terrible because I'm just happy we get to chew on something. Like, we never get to chew on it. Everything's so anemic and stripped of any kind of meaning and rituals what's what's my stupid phrase ritual decoupled decoupled from meaning meaning. like uh, this movie's interesting i like things that are interesting it's nice to actually be able to chew on something talk about something disagree about something even like this is a movie for adults i think um and you don't or maybe it's not maybe it's an immature piece of crap but at least it does a good enough job of doing an impression of a movie for an adult that it's worth contemplating so i sure do like that all right people are probably contemplating how they can support this podcast 
Well, don't chew on it for too long. Go to warrenmedia.com forward slash give to make a one-time whatever, a donation type thing. Or go to patreon.com forward slash sanity at the movies to support this podcast. You can sign up for 50 bucks a month. You'll be part of Nathan's Movie Book Club uh, slash other kinds of things club. I will send you something, some item, probably usually a book that is related to a movie we were talking about that month. So it might be a director autobiography. It might be a screenplay. It might be a making of book. It might be something on the lighting techniques of Kurosawa. I don't know. The, the world is your oyster, but it'll be your own mail by mail film education. It'll be super fun. Build your cinema book library. Just 50 bucks a month would be supporting a great podcast. Plus, if one, per- one more person signed up for that, we would be on the doorstep of talking about the Richard Donner Superman things and the uh, Tim Burton Batman things, which would be a whole lot of fun. So you, you with the extra $50 that you've been figuring out how to spend. I know you. I know you're listening. Yeah. Come on in. The water's fine. You won't regret it. You have to follow your heart. All right. Until next time. Follow your heart. That's right. Drink the poison chalice. Drink. Drink.